Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I, uh, we've been in this little mini-series where we've been looking at church. We've been looking at um, the prototype church, I've called it, the very first church uh, that was established in a day in Jerusalem, and it's described for us in Acts chapter 2, um, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on these group of ordinary people who had just been told by Jesus to wait and to pray, so they did what he said, and then the Holy Spirit came and empowered them and, uh, and connected with them, and... Um, and then the, you know, a crowd gathered and people were like, what's going on? And they were able to explain to those people what was going on. And we can read about what happened. Now this, uh, this church became, as I say, the prototype. Because the idea of the prototype is you make one and then when you've got that one working right, then you're supposed to make the other ones just like it. And if you make other ones and they're not working, maybe you need to look at the prototype and say, well, actually, we're not making it like the prototype. So that could be part of the reason why we're not seeing the same results. And if you've been following this series, know that the results of the first church were astonishing because within just a few hundred years this church had basically taken over the whole of the Roman Empire and um, so again we can learn from that uh, by looking at this. So um, I'm going to read to start off with from Acts chapter 2 and if you want to follow along in your Bible it's a very famous passage Uh, most of us are probably familiar with it if you've read your Bible at all it's it's an exciting um, time when, when Peter stands up to preach at this point as we're going through the series to explain what's going on um, because there's all this noise that's being made there's people speaking in tongues but people are like well that's my language and I can hear what they're saying they seem to be talking about God what, what's going on and then somebody says well they're just drunk and it's at that point that Peter stands up and says this he says these people um, are not drunk as you suppose this is verse 15 it's only nine in the morning no, this is, what was, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And uh, then he goes on and talks about various other Old Testament scriptures that Jesus fulfilled by his death and by his resurrection because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him don't worry I'm going to be going through this a bit more detail later and he then basically looks at the same people who are gathered there and he says you're the ones who did this you you took him and you crucified him and then in verse 32 says but God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it exalted to the right hand of God he has received from the father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear And uh, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if you've been following this series, you've seen first of all that this, this first church was, we call it a supernatural church. It was something that God started, God instigated it. That Jesus promised it and then the Holy Spirit came and it was, it was, it's a spirit-filled church. It's, it's a supernatural church. This is no, just no human organisation. It's something that God, as we were just hearing about, breathed into this, this group of people and enabled them to be what they could never be by themselves. And um, last week I talked about how it was a revival church, how, how basically it was born in revival. It, it was a revival church from the outset. And um, I talked about that last week and I got so excited that I wanted to be able to finish that talk, but I couldn't because the time had gone. So I'm going to give you a bit at the end of that one and then I'm going to give you another one. But um, basically, the next characteristic that I wanted to see, we've seen it's a supernatural church, it's a revival church, and I want us to talk about today about it being a, a, a radical church and what that means. Um, and it starts, this word radical, I'll explain exactly what it means, later but but basically it isn't what we might think of when we first think of the word Peter explains what's going on at Pentecost to this group of people and um, and he he doesn't apologize for it even though it looks weird he doesn't try and stop it and get people to calm down and go peace now in the name of Jesus let's all just be normal he lets all this stuff that looks a bit crazy happen but then what he does He looks in his Bible and he points them to their Bible and he says, this is that. This is that. The crowd is saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this is. And he says, oh, this is that. Why did those people speak in those funny languages that I don't understand? Well, this is that, which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Uh, And it's a good thing to do. Why are you laying hands on sick people? Why would you do that? Oh, because this is that that Jesus told us to do. He actually said to us that we're to lay hands on the sick and if we do that, we can expect that they'll recover. Because it's not wrong to have questions. And actually, when we look to scripture, we can find answers. Why did that person in the middle of the worship just start singing that song that weren't, the words weren't on the screen? And why did they make it sound as if they were saying it as if they were God? I actually had an email from somebody a while ago saying, I came to one of your services and, and this woman at the front started to sing as if she was God. And it freaked me out. What, what's going on with that? And at, the, at that point I thought, that's not, that's not his problem, that's our problem because somebody should have explained that. Actually, we should have said in the service, oh, this is that. We shouldn't just have assumed that people know what's going on. You know, actually, yes, this is a prophetic song. This is the kind of thing that, that Miriam did when she came through the Red Sea. And to praise God, she just started, or, or this is the kind of thing that Elizabeth did when, um, when Mary visited her at home. She started, so there's, there's lots of it in the Bible. This is that. Peter says, this is that of which God spoke and God prophesied and God predicted in the book of Joel. He says, when I will pour out my spirit on everyone, say everyone, Everyone, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Everybody is included in that possibility because everybody is a son or a daughter, aren't they? Your young men will see visions. So young men? Yay, that's it, the front row, absolutely. 
and your old men will have dreams. <laughs> this is for all ages. Yes, even on my servants, that's the only qualification, I suppose. My servants, people who are willing to serve me, both men and women, both men and women. This is the prototype church. This is how it was meant to be right from the start. This is not how it has always been. This is not how it is in many churches now. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will all prophesy or they will all proclaim. Same word. They will all preach. Same word. My message. Men and women. Who gets to do it? Everybody. Scripturally. Then everyone. If you notice how, how all inclusive these terms all are, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who gets to proclaim that? Everyone. Who gets to do the work of God? Everyone. Who gets God-inspired visions? Who has access to dreams from heaven? Everyone. Who, then he goes on to describe signs and wonders that take place. Everyone gets to play. Sons and daughters, old and young, men and women, everyone's invited, everyone's included to get everybody involved. Sons and daughters, men and women, young and old. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on this prototype church, God was saying, I want all backgrounds, all classes, all types, all nations, all people groups and all generations. Because a lot of churches, you don't actually have to think very hard why they're dying slowly. It's because they're a, a one nation church, perhaps. Or they're a one gender church. Or they're a one generation church. And it's unbiblical. And it's unspiritual. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed us the question of who gets to do the work of God was fully and finally settled forever on the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit when he came and said, I'm going to be poured out on all flesh. And as I say those words, I'm remembering them as if they were being spoken to me. I can remember the room where I first heard somebody say them. I was in a, I was in a meeting in America when a guy called Dr. Gilbert Bilizekian was teaching right the way through the book of Acts. And he said this phrase that I just repeated to you about how it was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fully and finally showed us who gets to do ministry. And that it was, on, it was men and women. And, it, and the force of that and the argument that he's got, and this is a man who had spent many years looking at scripture and this was his final conclusion. The penny dropped for me. I mean, I knew it before, but now I kind of knew it. I knew this was so important. And this guy, after a lifetime of study, this was his conclusion. Later he wrote this about this passage, saying that the passage that we're studying, he says, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gave the inaugural speech that marked the beginning of the life of the church universal. The very first statement he made concerning the consequences of the new availability of the Holy Spirit to all believers, the outpouring of the Spirit promoted both men and women without differentiation to the ministry. Right from the start, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. That's the qualification. You get the Spirit if you've got flesh. 
Do you qualify? We qualify. If you've got flesh, you qualify for the spirit. All means all. All means equal access to supernatural power. All languages are needed to reach all kinds of people. Mobilising every person, utilising every age, maximising every gender. For what? For the good news of the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. Because as we read on, we see that this is good news. That's what gospel means. And Luke is summing up Peter's sermon. Because he's like, wow, this is a good one because we had like 3,000 <laughs> off the back of that one. Somebody better write it down. And so he's taking his sermon notes and making notes on them. And this is what he remembers from Peter's first sermon. And he started out by explaining this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what, and this is what we're to do. Not just preachers like me, but all oh, Christians. We're supposed to help people understand what God is doing. And they're going to be at different stages and ages and phases and, and we've got to help them and translate God for them in a way that they get it what they wouldn't get otherwise this is that God has done something God wants to do something this is how God worked this is how God is working now this is and, and you understand how God is working now because you look back at what God has done in the past see we're not the first people that the Holy Spirit has ever been poured out on. We're not the first people that God has ever met with. We can sometimes make it sound like that. I sometimes listen sometimes to look people and it's a, it's a bit like, you know, you know until like we all started singing Hillsong songs or Bethel songs, there was nothing going on much in the church. But actually, to be honest with you, that's all great and I love it, but, but there's centuries of the Holy Spirit moving. And if you study the word of God and how we work with people then, and if you study history, I've done this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, you can listen to the podcast, how God has worked in the past, that helps you to be able to connect now with what God is doing now by studying scripture, by looking back at church history. Then you can say like Peter, when people go, oh, what's this? This is that. Look, this is how God moved then. Here's what he said. Here's what happened when he did say that and when he did do that. But if you don't connect to that you're rootless and if you're rootless you'll be fruitless people throw aside what the bible says or what the church believed and taught for centuries and they say yeah but you know that's all right but these are modern times these days and you have to understand people used to believe that then but they were kind of primitive times and primitive days but now we're in the 21st century and of course we can't believe this or we can't believe that there's a technical term for that it's called chronological snobbery <laughs> it's the idea that people back then didn't know what things were <laughs> but but we did What's newer is truer. That's the way people think about it. We know better now. But all that means is actually you're just cutting yourself off at the root. And you've got nothing to hold on to when tough times come. And Jesus says, if you're like that, when the sun comes, you're just going to frazzle up. So this is why it's good to be rooted. That's what Peter's trying to do here in the sermon. He's helping them to figure out what God is doing and root their lives in that. In Latin, the word for rooted is the word radicalis. God wants a supernatural church. He wants a revival church and he wants a radical church. But when people hear radical, you can think radical means edgy, like super cool, can't you? It's like, oh yeah, we're a radical church, man. Like even the old folk, they've all got tattoos. You know, and that's how radical we are. But that isn't what radical means at all. Radical just means rooted. 
That's all it means. From the root. Radicalis. Guess what we get from that word? Radish. <laughs> Imagine got a radish church. How cool is that? Well, we've got ivy, don't we? What's a radish? Just a big root. To eradicate means you pull it up by the roots. You don't just cut it off. In medicine, radical surgery, you cut out the problem. In botany, the radical leaves are the ones that are closest to the bottom of the plant, the, the root of the plant. In grammar, the radical is the root word with the prefix and the suffix taken away. In maths, what's the radical? The root of the equation. Whether it's the square root, cube root, whatever it is. God wants a radical church rooted in Christ, rooted in Scripture, rooted and established in love. That's what Paul said. He prayed more than anything for the Ephesians. I want it to be rooted and established in love. Every generation, but especially I think the younger people here in our church, when I pray for them, I'm praying that they will be rooted. They'd be rooted in Scripture, rooted in the love of God, rooted in church. And not easily pulled away. Because there's so much that can pull people away. And we have the most rootless generation in history, I believe, right now. Everything's coming at them and they don't know what's what. And they won't know what's what until you know this is that. You can only know what's what when you can say this is that. Then that gives you roots. You can't understand what is happening in the world and what God is doing in the world right now unless you know how he worked in the past. That gives you a root because God never changes. The gospel never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And you say, well, what is the gospel? There is a central, life-giving, unchanging set of truths that every true church should hold on to. And without them, we have no root. And all the essential elements of the gospel, the good news, were right there, day one, in Peter's message. It's amazing how somebody just a few weeks before this was, was a chicken who basically denied that he even knew Jesus would now stand up and declare boldly to some of the same people in the crowd and say, you did this. And with supernatural passion and incredible clarity would be able to bring this message to them but that's the supernatural difference that the Holy Spirit inside of a person can make and I haven't got time to read through it all but I'll list the, the headlines up there for you to be able to read it through yourself and you could make a note but this is the gospel you can cheer if you like any bits of it okay the, the gospel says Jesus is God his miracles prove it that was a bit lame he died on the cross for our sins God raised him back to life. Giving you gladness, hope and joy. He sent us his Holy Spirit. So, if we turn from sin and are baptised. Has anybody been baptised? Yay! I wish this was a black church to be honest with you. <laughs> We can live a new life. <laughs> Pretty good sermon, isn't it? Pretty good sermon. And if you're thinking, well, it was a lot shorter than yours, Anthony. He did also say he used many other words. So I'm not stopped yet. 
But no wonder you look at that and you think, why, you know, what good news this is. This is our message. This is why the church exists. This is why the church has to exist. This is why the church needs people to go and proclaim this message. This is why the Holy Spirit still wants to come and take ordinary people who are a bit scared and don't know how to do it and give them the ability to be able to take and pass on this life-giving, life-changing, eternity-shaping, purpose-directing message that changes everything. Because you read the results of that message clearly preached. It says, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's revival, isn't it? 3,000 people. The church started as a revival. I actually like that the church started big. Some people say good church has to be small church. And I do love smaller churches because they can, they're like, some people say they're like rabbits and they can reproduce a lot faster because they're smaller. And big churches are like elephants. And, well, I'm not even going to talk about elephants multiplying. But, but the, the first church plant, because it started on a day, was a mega church. It was an elephant. 3,000 in one day. But then it says this about them. Every single one of them devoted themselves because nobody else can devote you but you to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. It's like they got into the Bible and they got into prayer. They were all rooted in scripture, in prayer together. So the first church, I'm going to recap, was a supernatural church. It was a revival church and a radical church rooted in the truth of the gospel. And when that happens, and wherever it happens, and it's happening in the world right now, all over the world, then look out, because actually what you then see is that kind of church spreads, it multiplies, because it reproduces. All around the world it's happening. And the only reason it reproduced like this was because all of those other characteristics meant that it was really healthy. If you aim at church growth, you may not get church health. But if you aim at church health, you will get church growth and you'll get reproduction. It's, the, it's how it works. Supernaturally, this thing called the church is the same as, as in, generally in nature. The reason you want to be healthy is so that you can reproduce. A healthy church is reproducing. It, nobody wants to reproduce an unhealthy church. That's why they don't. That's why they don't. But a healthy church will reproduce. In fact, I would say that the sign of a healthy church and mature church is that it reproduces. And what's the secret of reproducing? Well, this is my, um, my bag. This is what I read books about and blogs about and go and speak at conferences on all over the... And, and I, I can tell you, there's that many books and there's that many blogs and there's that many conferences all about this thing. This is the big thing now about how do we reproduce churches and there's this technique and there's this strategy. I, I, I like them. I come back to the staff team of, oh, we've got this great new thing and this is amazing. Oh, we can do this and this is good. And all the people who are on the staff team are going, oh, yeah, yeah, because they've heard it all before. And some of them are really good and exciting and some of them are even useful. <laughs> But when we look at this prototype church in the book of Acts, we see actually it's pretty simple. They loved one another. That's it. It's really that simple. They didn't just sing about it or say about it. They, love is a verb. They loved one another. They cared for one another in this prototype church. And that's what counts for reproducing. This was a church who said that preached the gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They prayed together. But if you do all of that and you don't have love in the centre, you're just a clanging symbol. 
You know, you're just a gong. And you don't have a biblical church if you have those things. All you really have is a classroom. Because there are classroom churches, aren't there? Where everybody just comes and they listen to the Bible and they don't disagree with it and they take a few notes and then they go out again. They teach the Bible, but that's all they really do with the Bible. And yes, you've got to teach the Bible. It's good to teach the Bible and learn from the Bible. But a biblical church is a lot more than just a Bible study. The church has to have a gospel message to transform us and an outward focus in proclaiming it. And you want people to devote themselves the way that people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But in this first church, you just start to see it from day one, how they loved each other. They took care of each other. It says they fellowship together. That means just like they hung out. Like they liked each other. They shared life. They shared everything, Acts 2.42. They took part in the fellowship and in sharing fellowship meals and in praying together. I love how this carries on. Now it's translated in, actually in the, in the CEV, the, con, the contemporary English version. It just says this. They were all like family to each other. Sorry, you can move these on. Next one. They were like family to each other. They also broke bread and prayed together. See, they weren't related, but they were like family each other Jesus blood was thicker than water and it something bounded them together and you know the, the scripture uses the word family a lot to describe church I loved actually how just naturally before when Matt was talking about church I just sat and noticed that at least six times he used the word family when he was talking about church I don't know if you noticed that but maybe it's because I'm preaching on it I'm thinking oh yeah Family, family, family. That's how he's talking about. And and because and, nobody, you know, the reason the ch- a lot of the church is dying is because people think of the church as an institution. Nobody really wants these days to join an institution, but everybody wants to be part of a family. So we don't just talk about our church as being an organization or a movement or an institution or a club. It's not a club. It's a family. That's what we want it to be. We want it to be a family of families. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but when we talk about our church, you're going to hear that in the announcements and all kinds of things. We talk about this church as family. Not, we're not saying we're the perfect family, but it's like the, as we talk about that, we're giving an aspiration of that's how we want to relate to one another here at Ivy. And that's great because there's this real epidemic of loneliness and there's a lot of brokenness. And actually one of the main areas of that is it's to do with family, isn't it? I'm not talking about nuclear family. We blew up nuclear family some years ago and actually you know some people would talk about well you mustn't redefine family there's people trying to redefine family all the time but actually Jesus was the first to redefine family if you remember Matthew chapter 12 it says that Jesus was with his disciples and his mother and his brothers were outside and somebody came and they said uh, Jesus your mum and brothers are outside and then it says that it says um, he replied to them who is my mother and who are my brothers pointing to his disciples he said here are my mother pointing to a female disciple you would imagine first yeah and my brothers for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So this is a whole new kind of family that Jesus invites us to belong to. This is Jesus' family right here when we come to church. You're invited to be part of Jesus' family. 
Which means that we have right here, if we can grab hold of that, what people in the world need the most. Because what everybody needs most, first of all, we know that they need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need to know the love of God and take it personally. And everybody needs family. God gave you a physical family and a spiritual family. You didn't get a choice about your physical family, whether it was good or bad. But you do get a choice with regard to your spiritual family and how you relate to that. You're invited to be a close family. We're invited to be a close family. You know, people say, oh, my family weren't really very close. This is meant to be. This is a spiritual family. Jesus wants a close family. In fact, your spiritual family will last a lot longer than your physical family, won't it? Because this is going to go on forever and ever. I don't mean this service. I mean. <laughs> now, what's the number one need of the upcoming generation worldwide? It's family. People have described this as the fatherless generation. Somebody said it's the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. This is a generation that's desperately seeking family, especially they need fathers, they need spiritual fathers and they need spiritual mothers to step up and encourage them and direct them. Paul tells Timothy how church should look. He says this, treat the older men as fathers. So it's like you find an older man, treat him like he's your dad. What do you do? Look up to him. Draw that out of him. Treat the older women as mothers. Now, there are no older women. <laughs> so that bit's all right. <laughs> treat the younger women as sisters. And I, I like the version, there's a version that says, with absolute purity, it says in another version, and treat the younger men as brothers. Can you imagine if that's what church was really like? God says, you're my family, act like it. We're meant to act like family. And that's a lot easier, a lot more attractive to anybody than come and join an organisation or come and be a member and get your name on the membership role or, or understand these rules so that you can be in, in the institution. Because everybody understands family, even if they've never really had a good one themselves. And everybody understands that the way that God wants us to relate, relate to one another is as family. Him as the dad. He was this incredible our father and us as brothers and sisters and mums and dads. Over the years, I've had a lot of spiritual fathers. I'm so grateful I could list a group of men. I've still got a few and they're not much older than me. Now, funnily enough, as you get older, they don't tend to be that much older. But now it's about, it's not, see, it's not about biological age necessarily. I've been a Christian for 32 years. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 21. Right from the start, when I found somebody, a bloke who'd been a Christian longer than me, I called it out of that person. I said to him, you know, I can still remember the first one, and I had a conversation, and he was like, I want you to know, you have a right to speak into my life. I can see you've been walking with God further and longer and closer than I have, and so if you see something, if you come to me and you see, if you see something and you say to me, Anthony, you're doing this wrong, I'm really going to listen. I'm really going to listen. I, I submitted to that, if you like, because I wanted to 
hear Jesus through them. And they taught me so much. There was one and then there was a couple together and then there was another one and there was another. I can't think of a time in my life when I've not been able, I, I could tell you a list of names of men like that and I'm meeting two of them in September for three days because that's important to me. I don't want to live like an orphan. Nobody elected these guys, but I, I selected these guys. I valued them for spiritual maturity and I asked them. I have a few spiritual fathers who I trust to speak into my life. And I have the elders, the staff team, they bring their wisdom, they help me. I have many spiritual brothers who give me advice and, vi- and vice versa. And loads of spiritual sisters who impart lots of wisdom to me. Godly women that I listen to will often come up to me and often it might even be something like they'll see something that I'm not seeing and they'll say, Anthony, you know, have, you cons- have you thought how that might be from a, a feminine perspective? And usually the answer would be no. <laughs> and, and they've saved me from a lot of trouble by doing that. So I listen. I need to listen more to spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers and brothers and sisters like Lynn Swart She's like a sister to me. And, you know, the Bible says we're to do this. In, notice in Acts 2, verse 34, it says, all the believers continued, next one, to gather together in close harmony. They shared everything together. They lived in wonderful harmony, the message says. Now, just remember, I'm coming into land here. During this time, what was it like to be a member of the church? If you were here for the first one of these talks, you were being persecuted. You were thought of as like a, a criminal of some kind they were beheading Christians throughout all this time they were putting them on crosses all the apostles but one ended up being executed but if you go back you're going to see what the critics said about the church terrible untrue accusations that were being made about them all the time all kinds of lies about Christians this Christians that Christians do this Christians do that but then they would also have to say but wow how they love each other how they love each other that's what made people go wow It staggered people how much Christians love one another. One of the reasons why the Christianity grew, it wasn't a technique. It wasn't a strategy. It wasn't because Peter preached a good sermon and they all said the same words. It wasn't, in the first 300 years, it grew like wildfire and you can examine plagues hit. Pandemics. The word pandemic. Pan means all. Demos, people. All kinds of people are dying and they didn't know what. They didn't know how. They said it was the plague. They didn't know what it was. There's one, they now believed to be smallpox that broke out in Egypt. Started in Egypt. 251. Yeah, 251. 5,000 people a day were dying. Smallpox epidemic. Everybody starts to run because that's the only thing you knew how to do. Don't get near anybody who might have it. Panic. Everybody leaves the urban areas and runs out into the countryside. It's every man for himself. Because they had no belief in the afterlife. It's like, just grab what you can and try and live now. So there's doctors leaving, whatever kind of doctors. Pagan priests abandon the temples when people are coming saying, pray for me. They're off. Everybody's running. The only people who stayed to look after the sick were the Christians. The Christians looked after one another. They took care of the sick and other people too. They washed the wounds of the sick. They prayed for the dying. They offered them water and food. They offered them consolation. It was a pandemic of love. 
in the name of Jesus. Everybody, they loved all people. They did love each other, but they didn't just love each other, they loved everybody else. In Rome, the Christians buried, not just their own, but pagans who died without funds for a proper burial. So the Christians buried them. They supplied food for thousands of poor people and destitute people every day in Rome. They did it again. In Antioch, 3,000 a day were being fed by Christians who didn't have much, but shared everything. Pagans couldn't help but notice there's something different about these Christians. They risked death, they cared for one another and then they actually found they were much less likely to die. They would attribute it to prayer but in fact, you know, I don't know whether it probably was prayer too but the, but the Christian survivors of these plagues because there wasn't just one but a number of them became immune and they were able to go and help and it was like they were invulnerable in some way. In fact, those most active in nursing the sick were often the very ones who had contracted the disease early on, come through it, and then went back to care for others. In this way, the early Christians became, in the words of one scholar, a whole force of miracle workers to heal the dying. Or as a historian called Rodney Stark puts it, it was the soup the Christians so patiently spooned to the helpless that healed them. In the midst of persecution, misrepresentation, in an area where serving other people was thought to be demeaning, the Christians made it their trademark. When everybody else was running and fleeing to the hills, the Christians were moving in and caring for the poor and the dying and the widows and the orphans and the aged. And the whole Roman Empire saw it and went, we can't compete with this. We have nothing to put against this. See how they love one another. One, one emperor tried to instigate a similar kind of thing, a bit like a national health service. And nobody would join it. Because why should they? They didn't have the same belief system. What if the church got the same reputation again as those who have a pandemic of love, who love all people? What if, I don't just mean love us, I mean love all. We live in a time, don't we, when structures and institutions are meant to address social needs which are increasing, but at the same time, these institutions are often powerless or perceived as being indifferent or really impersonal. And the atmosphere is, is just of distrust and hopelessness and fear. It's a disaster. But if we step into the danger zone as the church, rather than withdraw and pull up the hatches, if we go and, and the church once again loves all, that can be our greatest chance to grow and reproduce disciples. We can't just retreat and quarantine ourselves inside our buildings. We've got to be full of that love that takes us out and the world is still watching and I know there's all kinds of stuff the church is already doing but, but we need to seize these opportunities to be filled with the love of Christ and then the love of Christ, the Bible says, compels us to go and to take the name of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the resurrection power of Jesus out. And so we preach the gospel, but how we live and die and serve backs it up. So it's not just words. And then we can have a pandemic of love that will sweep out of the church here in this city the nations and beyond okay the band want to come up
Because you know in the Bible, there's something that we, um, we don't often do these days. In fact, I don't think we've ever, I've ever really been in a church that's done it. But uh, it says five times, it says this in the Bible, greet one another with a holy kiss. Because everybody for years, centuries in the early church, greeted one another with a holy kiss. And yes, it was on the lips. The men were separated from the women in worship. So they, and this was how it was in the synagogue. So the men kissed the men on the lips and the women kissed the women on the lips. And somebody's standing up and going, I am joking, mate, so it's all right. You don't have to do it. <laughs> it, it all of that was a joke. Because <laughs> we're probably not going to do that today. Well, let's stand up. And what we are going to do is give a Christian high five or elbow bump or if you really know them you can give them a hug because this is about love and it's not about a technique it's about us being filled with the love of Jesus for him for one another and taking it out because people flock to loving churches let's pray shall we pray together Lord, I pray that we will recognise that this love is not just, um, as we said, a technique or a way of some new church growth strategy, but it's, Lord, just the overflow of having been loved by you, that having been brought into your family, that even though we were so lost, messed up and didn't deserve a place, Lord, with you, you brought us to the table. You've adopted us into your family. Lord, that that costs so much for Jesus, our wonderful, great, perfect, older brother, to go to the cross and and to die, Lord, so that we get new life and a a place in your love forever. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be overwhelmed with that love so much that we don't want to keep it to ourselves, but we do want to share it. And Lord, that we will um, love one another. Because you said, Lord Jesus, that when we do that, then the world will know. And Lord, that we won't just keep the love in the buildings, but we'll go into risky places and unsafe places and inconvenient places and hard places. Because it's easy to love people like us and it's easy to... just restrict and hold on to that love but Lord the way it grows is when we give it away the way it's real is when we uh, when we are stretched so I pray that when you put your hand on your heart just give God permission stretch my heart by your Holy Spirit Matt was talking about breathing in before just Lord we want you to expand our hearts fill us up with your love passes understanding that that is beyond comprehension that staggers the world Lord to have been loved you first loved us we love because you first loved us so we receive that first love for ourselves we receive your love first how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God but that is what we are it's what you are you are loved that identity as a, as a beloved one be loved receive that love know you're loved just as you are
just as I am, Lord. Just expand our hearts to receive more, Lord. And let our hearts be so full of your love that our hearts can't contain them, but we find ways to pour your love out in practical ways. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to be able to speak of you. ways that help other people to understand and get it get this love that was first preached about there 2,000 years ago but is bang up to date and so needed today just fill me up the all consuming that never ending never going to run out just yeah don't rush this just believe the Holy Spirit is really coming and where our hearts have been hardened Lord in any way soften my heart Lord just ask him we never just make something happen he's waiting for an invitation Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.